The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, and we're thrilled to be here with you on this Monday morning. Uh, before we do anything, I just want to say that this uh, next hour is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. Uh, Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can get a hold of us here in ways that you can have your voice heard. I want to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, lots of things to do. There's videos, there's playlists, um, there's a, a comment place at the bottom. If you click on the comment, it opens up and you can, it's all free. I want to, I want to make sure that you guys realize that it's all free uh, and we're here to be a resource for you. But if you don't see what you need, please write in and ask a question. And you can ask those questions on Facebook and on YouTube and Periscope and um, Twitter, uh, but you can also do it from our uh, the, our homepage, Autism Hyphen Live. You click on the chat button, it opens up. You enter. You know, you type whatever you want, hit enter, and it shows up here where I can see it. Uh, and in that way, you're completely anonymous. I know when you write something on Facebook, then everybody can see who wrote the question. And sometimes that's not a big deal, but other times that's a big deal. If it is, write into us on our live feature. Okay. So, um, hey, I like to remind you from time to time that this show is meant for the larger autism community. That's what we're here for. That means that, of course, uh, that is individuals who are on the autism spectrum themselves, of course, right? Um, that's a, you know, of course. But it also, and when I say the larger autism community, it also includes everyone who loves those individuals, everyone who cares about them. So that's parents, teachers, practitioners, uh, spouses, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, uh, whoever. That's what I'm referring to when I say the, the larger autism community because we all have so many things that we do not have in common, right? Uh, it is not a one-size-fits-all community. That's why they call it a spectrum, right? Because there is a spectrum. But the one thing that we all have in common is a desire for individuals on the autism spectrum to be treated with respect and to get resources for the support that they need. And again, respect and dignity, right? So we all can agree on that. And our mission here at Autism Live is to serve that greater autism community towards that goal by providing inspiration and information. That's why we're here. And if so if there's something you need, we want you to be able to write into us to ask us, and then hopefully we'll be able to connect you to that or get an expert here to talk about it. That's what we like to do. All right. So um, the other thing that I like to say, the little disclaimer, is that we have a lot of experts that are on the show. I'm not one of them. I'm not an expert in the field of autism. That is not what I am. I am a parent. I'm a former teacher, and I, I'm a parent with a son who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and I'm so proud of him I could not be more proud of him uh, honestly like whew, so proud of him um, but I know that I needed a lot of help and support when he was diagnosed and I know he needed a lot of things I got that I got lucky and I got the support that I needed and I was able to access the support that he needed and I know that everybody doesn't have that. So that's why I'm here, because I want to help 
in, in whatever way I can to make sure that you all get what you need, which is not necessarily what I needed, which is not necessarily what my son needed, right? There cannot be a one size fits all in this, but I hope that you will utilize my desire to help and write into the show and let's see if I can help you to come to something. If not, uh, the be all end all, at least uh, some idea or hope. Uh, I believe in hope. Uh, we like to say here it's our favorite four-letter word. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Okay, so um, having said all of that, we like to start Thursdays with, uh, excuse me, Mondays. I know what day of the week it is. We like to start Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to give you the actual definition, and then whenever whenever it's appropriate, we make great fun of it because often the jargon terms and the definitions are like crazy town, and there's just more jargon, right, that nobody could understand. But then... We like to give you the working definition so that you can start to learn what is this thing and what does it have to do with me and how can this help us and how can this save us time and money learning what this term is, right? So that's what we're about for Jargon of the Day. And you can already see over my shoulder, but I'm, I'm, I'm blocking some of it. It's automatic reinforcement. So let's take a look at what our actual definition of automatic reinforcement is. Automatic reinforcement refers to situations in which behavior is maintained by operant mechanisms mechanisms independent of the social environment. And let me just say, if that doesn't make you want to like stab your eye out with a rusty fork, then you probably are going to a college for psychology. <laughs> Right? Or you already have an advanced degree in psychology or you are an expert in psychology. Um, because I don't know about you and I'm still in, in the way of it. Uh, I'm like, oh, automatic reinforcement is a situation where behavior is maintained. Well, if you don't know what that means, right, then you're, you're dead in the water. By operant mechanisms, hello, what is that? Uh, independent of the social environment, now it's convoluted for me and I'm like, even if I know what operant mechanisms are, which, you know what, like, I've been an autism mom for 14 years, and I could not come up with an, a definition for operant mechanisms. I'm sorry. Um, I can't. I'm just saying. So this, this definition is largely useless to me. So let's move on to our working definition, and let's see if we can't work backwards to see what this is. Uh, automatic reinforced behavior is behavior that happens because it feels good. Um, that There's a paycheck somewhere for the behavior, and often that 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 paycheck is on the inside. And that's really what I wanted to put on this slide. The, the paycheck is on the inside, but it would take more explanation. So, for instance, we talk all the time on the show about every behavior has a function, right? That we don't do things randomly. Um, that when we, especially when we do something over and over, it's because it has some sort of a paycheck. We call that reinforcement, right? And that there are four main thing categories of why behaviors happen. Some, you know, there are behaviors that people engage in because they want attention. We can all recognize that, right? The person, you know, who's always the life of the party, right? And they love that attention, right? But keep in mind that people, all people need a certain amount of attention and there's different levels. And if you're not getting attention, you will take any level of attention, even bad attention. You know how they say about there's no bad press? That's because even bad attention when you need attention is a good thing, right? So keep that in mind for that. But then, you know, sometimes we do something to get something or to be, to get near someone. Think about all the people in your life not necessarily on the spectrum, but including all the people on the spectrum who do things to get something. Do they do something to get a job? Do they do something to, you know, get a pair of shoes? Like we could, that's a whole other show that we could talk about, right? Or to get near someone. Think about the girl that you know that is absolutely girl crazy and crazy about the one guy and all the things that you've had. I, like I have one friend in college that what we would have to go through in an evening just so that she could be standing next to the person that she, Oh my goodness, right? Okay, so so there's that, but then there's escape. Sometimes we all do things to escape something. Let's not even talk about the things that I will do to escape having to, because it's tax time. It's time to start working on the taxes. And I will, I will clean the garage. 
just because I'm like, well, I couldn't do the taxes this weekend because I cleaned the garage, right? Uh, what will we do to escape someone or something that's aversive to us, right? That's all of us. But then there is another category the fourth category is things that are automatically reinforced. And these are the things that we do because it feels good on the inside. We all do them, everybody does. Now, there is this thing in the autism community where we talk about STIMS. Uh, and STIM is short for self-stimulatory behavior, but that's a misnomer. Because when we're talking about self-stimulatory behavior, we're usually, or a STEM, we're usually talking about about automatically reinforced behavior. And the reason why it's a misnomer, it's misnamed, is because sometimes when you say it's self-stimulatory, you're assuming that they're doing it to be stimulated, and sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes they're doing it to calm themselves down. That's not a self-stimulatory behavior. But when people are talking about stims, we really are talking about automatic, automatically reinforced behavior. So I do this not because there, I'm interacting with something in the environment, not because I want attention, not because I want to uh, escape something. I do this because on the inside, there's a paycheck for me. Now, it's not the same for all people. You know, we have uh, adults that are on the spectrum who can tell us, oh, you know, I do this because I like the colors that I see when my hands do this. And if you do that, try it. Uh, you do this and it makes colors because the the fast movement the fingers blur and you see colors other people um say that they do it because it feels it just feels good it's just you know there's a thing about it um you know just like some people you know click their fingers there's a good feeling about it um and other people have said that they do it because it calms them down other people have said that they do it because it helps me to focus right and i want to ask you what are the things Things, and we're going to get to it in the question, so I'm not going to go there. But think about it. Um, a lot of times we just look at this behavior and go, it's odd, it's not functional. So no, it's functional. Because it is, if it's happening more than once, it's functional. It's just maybe not the function you want. And then we get into tricky territory, right? Because uh, let's, let's take a, a look at a pacifier. You know, the baby, um, you know, we feed a baby and we give them a bottle or you give them the breast, right? And they, they feed and that there is a function in that, that they get fed, they get nutrients, whatever, but, uh, it's also soothing. And so sometimes we give, it's very normal in our culture that we give a baby a pacifier and it's something that they suck on and that sucking motion is soothing to them, right? But if you think about it, it's not giving them any nutritive value. It's not helping them to achieve any other goal than it calms them, right? So sucking on a pacifier is an automatically reinforced behavior. The paycheck is in on the inside. It's not on in the environment. It's on the inside that it's happening. And at a certain point, people take the pacifier away, right? Um, and, and depending on the child and how attached they are to the pacifier, it can be a really horrible thing to take away the pacifier because it's the thing that soothes them. And, and here's the point that I want to make as a parent, as, as a part of this community, is that um, we have an understanding that we don't want this child to grow up and be an adult and walk around with a pacifier in their mouth, right? But we also have to have a realization that that child has feelings and that is their mode of soothing themselves. And so I think it's unconscionable if we take away a pacifier that is clearly soothing a child without giving them some other way of soothing themselves. And there are classes in how to teach a baby how to self-soothe, right? Um, you know, and with every single stim or automatically reinforced behavior that an individual does on the autism spectrum, I believe that we have to have a certain measure of respect. That that behavior is there for a reason, and it may not be something that is long-term going to help this person in their life, but that means that we need to take whatever the function of that behavior is, and we need to give it something that is more um, relevant towards their life to help them to achieve their goals, just like we do with a pacifier. 
And I know that there are some people who go, no, I'm not taking a pacifier away from that baby. And there are people who send their kids off to kindergarten with pacifiers. Let's be honest. There are those folks. Generally, the school will work to take away the pacifier because they know that it's not going to help the child because the child's going to have to speak and you can't speak with the pacifier in your mouth. So eventually someone will take the pacifier away or the child will get frustrated enough with it and put it down if they have the ability to speak. On the autism spectrum, um, I, and I know self-advocates get very emotional about this and I can completely understand why. Because if I do this because it feels good and it helps me, why would you want to take it away from me? And I got to be honest, I think that really the best ABA professionals, I don't think they're good at communicating this, but I think that their, their point is you can do this. We just want you to be able to choose when you do it. And when you are in a position where you're not choosing to do it, we want to teach you what to do so that you still get the soothing without having to do this. Because if you're um, at the DMV and you're taking a driving test to drive a car because you want to drive a car and something happens that's anxiety uh, uh, inducing and you start doing this, you are going to fail that driving test, right? It doesn't mean you can't do it at home when you guys are playing a game around the table and you get excited about something or you get nervous about, I don't know the answer to it, you absolutely can do it. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, but if it's getting in the way of things that you would want to achieve, let's give you the function of that behavior so you're still getting the soothing, you're still getting the paycheck or the stimulation that you need and you can still choose to this. Temple Grandin, this example I always use, she used to love to spin a metal plate at the foot of her bed. And she wanted to do it endlessly. That's all she wanted to do. And her mother said to her, here's the deal. You can do that an hour a day, but the rest of the time you got to be out mucking the stalls. Now for Temple, that was enough. Knowing that that hour that she could do it and nobody would take it away from her was enough for that. She went on to build a cow squisher that also, you know, squished her, but she knew that she couldn't take the cow squisher with her to her physics class. You see what I'm saying? She could compartmentalize it. Not everybody can, um, but it's important that we don't just poo-poo these behaviors. They're there for a reason. And whenever we're trying to do an intervention because we're like, mm, that behavior is getting in the way of you talking to somebody because you got a pacifier um, or, you know, writing, it's very hard to write an essay if this is what you're doing. So when we see that, ah, that behavior is getting in the way of the next step in your progress, we need to be mindful of we still have to fulfill the need for it before we can be successful. We can't just say, don't do it. That's not, it's not appropriate. It's not kind. Uh, it's not effective either. If you say to somebody, we'll just stop doing it. That's not going to work. So good BCBAs will put a replacement behavior in and teach a replacement behavior. That's what they do. All right. Automatic reinforcement. Good. We got that. So now moving on to our question, and I sort of teased this before. Our question today kind of goes hand in hand with this because uh, my question for you is what, how do you keep yourself awake when you're tired? Like what are the things that you do when you're tired? Because um, a lot of times, you know, people... People have like this uh, a shorthand for themselves, the way that they cope with, um, and that would be a self-stimulatory behavior. How, whatever you do to keep yourself awake, that is actually a self-stimulatory behavior. And I wanted to point that out because it's a little bit different category of stuff than things you do when you're trying to calm yourself down, right? And that's why we don't want to use the misnomer. Everybody's still going to say stim, but I want you to know that what they're really saying is automatic reinforcement behavior. So what do you do when you're trying to keep yourself awake? And obviously it depends on which situation you're in, right? If you're in a meeting and the meeting is boring, and I've been in a few of those, right? Right? And you're sleepy, uh, either because the meeting is boring or because you didn't get enough sleep. You know, what do you do? Which is different than what you do when you're driving a car and you feel yourself starting to be sleepy. Because I hope the answer to that is that you pull over. Uh, but what do you do? 
that's a self-stimulatory behavior. Write in and tell us because I, I, I think it's good to know what people do to keep themselves awake when they're tired. Okay, so this now we move on to our topic of the day, topic of the week, and you're going to go, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it does. And our topic this week is safety first. Um, and the reason why it has to do with all these other things is that, um, you know, we talk a lot on the show about things that we want to teach our kids. We, I tell you all the time about how great ABA is for teaching those things because I believe that I know that. I watched it. I experience it every day. Um, but I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I said, you know, we, when our family, uh, when our son started to do ABA, it, it was so life-changing because he was doing a 40-hour program. We had to really... Like, like, and somebody was asking me, how do you make your life work? And I said, well, we made a manifesto. And our manifesto was, here's what's important to us in the order of its importance. And it wasn't written in stone. If we felt like something was wrong, wrong we, we did over the years adjust it. But in the beginning, in the very early years, we, we said the first most important thing was that we not be homeless. That was what my family chose, my husband and I. We said we need to, somebody needs to keep working enough so that we don't become homeless because everything else on the list uh, comes into play if that's not there. So we said homelessness, making sure that we have enough money to pay, we were renting and we said, and we still are, and it was, you know, we have to have enough money to pay the rent, right? Um, and notice that that didn't mean, you know, that we had to eat as well. It was like first and foremost, we have to be able to pay the rent and not be homeless through all this. Second most important thing was safety. That our son had to be safe and that we had to be safe and that that's, you know, that was the second most important thing. We felt like the homelessness came first because if the home, if we didn't address that, that we were going to be on the streets and then safety was going to be beyond the first thing, right? So that's, we chose that order. You can choose whatever. But then the third thing on our list was that we would do everything that we could for our son to get his full prescription of the 40 hours a week in the beginning. And that changed in the second year, it was 35 hours, right? But that that become the most important thing. And then, you know, then it was down the road, you know, there were different things that happened down the road. And we chose this. This is what we we decided as a family. And I'll tell you, it was, there were so many times that stuff came up where we were like, what do we do here? And we just would look at that list and go, oh yeah, no, if, if we're thinking of this, this, and this, then this is the right choice, right? There was one time when my, my husband got offered a movie role and it meant he wasn't going to be that gone that long, but it was going to put it all on me while he was gone in the desert filming this movie. And, um, and he was like, I got to say no, cause you know, gems in therapy and that's the most important thing. And I was like, hold up, let's go back and look at the manifesto. And the manifesto says, keeping a roof over our head, you're going to make some money out in that desert. You need to go to the desert, right? But let's check the list here. You, you know, it, so if you go to the desert, it's going to keep the roof over our head. But, you know, do we still have safety? Are he and I going to be safe while you're gone? Yes, we're going to be safe. And then the third thing was, you know, his therapy, was his therapy going to happen? And I was able to fill in for where my, and I was like, it's not that long, go to the desert. And he was like, gosh, that was such a much easier decision to make because we did things this way. So, so um, I think that even when we're making decisions about a behavior that we have to think about safety first because if, if, we're, if, if the child is engaged in this behavior because they're anxious and it's what's calming them down, we are not going to take that away until we have other things because that's not safe. I mean, it's not ethical either, but it's not safe. I mean, I know a mom whose son jumped out of a second story window because of anxiety. So safety first, right? We want you to learn and we want, you know, but we got to do it the right way and we got to be safe. So there we have it about that. All right. We have uh, gone on a long time with this, but because we've got this amazing guest who's going to be on the show today. Tom Island is back with us. Uh, he is an amazing autism advocate and award-winning author. Um, he is an, an international speaker uh, and a fabulous young man, a role model for all of us. So uh, stick with us. We're going to be right back with Tom Island. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We are welcoming back to the show a semi-regular. Tom Island is here joining us, and he has so many credentials in so many different directions. You're a CPA. Mm -hmm. uh, you are uh, a self-advocate. Yep. I don't know if you use that term. I do, but, every okay. now and then. Again. Uh, you are a speaker, an award-winning author, uh, and an all-around good guy. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, so he's a renaissance man is what he is. Uh, so uh, we mentioned award-winning author. You are the co-author of Come to Life. Mm -hmm. um, amazing. And we've talked about Come to Life before on the book. What a wonderful um, book slash workbook. Is that fair? It is a book slash workbook because okay. it's a great way for people with autism or whoever else may read this book to fill in the blanks on their life, figure out what they really want to get out of their lives and help make it happen. So for people to be able to fill in those blanks and figure out how they can become their best selves and it comes from their own mind and heart, then it can be really a life of authenticity and progress. And I think that it's an incredible gift to yourself um, to get that. Uh, but I gotta say, especially if you have like tweens, teens, or adults, that you are the parent or the caregiver or, or you are the boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, get this. Get this book slash mm -hmm. workbook and good. work through it together. And, I, and it's because it's I, I think that we still are reaping the benefits from this because I had an opportunity to do some of the exercises from it with my son and I thought it was just going to be about him, but because I also answered the questions, we had a, a, a place to meet in which he began to see me as a person. Mm -hmm. That perspective-taking piece, right? It's so good. Just do it. <laughs> yes. It, it, it definitely is helping some of the parents and the caregivers more than the people that have autism or whoever else might read this book. And we actually have a, a second volume of this book coming out intended just for parents and uh, teachers and educators about preparing a transition plan, navigating the educational system. And my, my mother's going to be spearheading that. She has years of experience in the yeah. field, and I'll weigh in here and there in the book, the second volume. Well, but get this. Come to life. Where can they get it? You can find it on my website, thomasisland.com. But we must note that Island has no S. That's right. People hear Island, they think Rhode Island. Oh, there's an S in Island, right. but, but no, no S, S in Island. It's, it's literally <laughs> I land. That's right. Um, and so so thomasisland.com. Dot com. And, that, and you can get the book there. Wonderful. And it's available in Spanish, too. Ah, uh, which is so wonderful. Um, but... Uh, you also, we mentioned, you, you were you were a CPA. I guess mm -hmm. you're thinking, once a CPA, always a CPA. Is that how that works? In the beginning, when I wanted to do accounting and be George Lucas's accountant at that, I thought that would be how I spent the rest of my life. And yeah. once I finally got immersed in that environment and going to a desk all day, yes, the pay was good and felt like I was making a difference, at least on a material level, yeah. but not on a personal level. I felt like I belonged somewhere else. Yeah. And I, I'm still licensed here in California as a CPA, but this year I've decided to stop practicing altogether. I even told my mother, I'm not doing your bookkeeping anymore. Ah, there you go. Because I just was talking about what I would do to get out of doing my taxes. I can't imagine a life of accounting. Uh, we, you know, we, we have somebody here uh, that works with numbers and, you know, that's all they do. And we met over mm -hmm. the copier recently and he said to me, I couldn't do your job. And I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't do your job. I would rather wash floors than have to add numbers together. Ooh. Like, honestly, anything but that. Uh, but because I'm a little, I'm not quite dyslexic but numbers jump around for me in reverse and whatever so I'm a little bit in that neighborhood mm -hmm. no, no 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 numbers for me um, so I can't imagine but you you know thought you wanted to do that and you didn't hate it but it wasn't wasn't gonna be your thing it didn't really fit you and that's when I met you was that you were a CPA a working CPA you know button-down suit kind of guy mm -hmm. but um, but I I met you right as you were going on stage for the Temple Grandin and Friends event. That is literally where I met you. Mm -hmm. You were standing on the stairs getting ready to go out on stage. And, and your mother said, I don't know if you've ever met my son. And I was like, it's so nice to meet you. And you were, and you were very polite. But 
literally you were like three seconds from walking out on stage and later on I was like why were we introducing ourselves then that was crazy because you were like in the moment of speaking in front of this ginormous group of people and you were so eloquent and so amazing um, and so it wasn't a surprise to me when years later you went I want to do more of that mm-hmm. that's where I want to I want to be do, I want to have more of an impact I want to I want to be out with the peeps I want to you know, be speaking about this because I have a voice about this and people are listening. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned reaping the benefits earlier. I'm finding that a life of me being a professional speaker and telling my story and getting myself out there, sharing people not only where I've succeeded, but where I've struggled. Yeah. Because I, I, I look like I'm really successful and I have had years of yeah. coaching, therapy, martial arts, mentoring, Toastmasters means improv, all of these things I do yeah. to make me who I am today, but I was not like this all those years ago. And I've had to tell people that once you commit to your own personal development, realize that you can get out of your comfort zone and you must get out of your comfort zone if you want to grow and find something better and greater for yourself. Yeah. And so you, through your books and through the events that you do and the speaking that you do, you are really an advocate for people to know themselves. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. What do you mean about knowing yourself? In the case of autism or really any diagnosis, it's key that the person who has the diagnosis know about it because there are many families that keep the diagnosis a secret from their child and that is a huge disservice and these young kids, they grow up kind of sensing something is off about them and they might go to their parents for answers and the parent is a little bit in shock, like, how do I tell this kid? Will he or she understand? Or maybe I don't fully embrace that my son or daughter has autism and in many cultures it's considered shameful to have someone with autism or another disability in the family so that's kept secret and I think we are starting to be a little more accepting of people's differences and diversity but knowing yourself understanding your diagnosis what you are good at and where you can improve we tend to focus too much on people's strengths where they can succeed without addressing those opportunities for improvement as we call the opposite or the opposite you focus too much on where they're struggling where they're falling short and then you don't address what they're really really good at yeah no kidding no kidding Uh, but uh, so I, I love that as you go around and you are speaking, and we need to talk about all these different ways that you're speaking, um, that it starts there with this knowing yourself and understanding what you're strong at, but also what you need to work mm-hmm. at. Now, you, I understand you recently went and spoke someplace pretty incredible um, that you were at the UN. Talk a little bit about uh, that. This was my second time at the UN in the last year. So I went there on April 2nd for World Autism Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. And they must have been really impressed with what I had to say on that panel because I got invited to speak there again this past December 3rd for the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. I was on a panel alongside dignitaries from Australia, Qatar, I think uh, Ecuador, and uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. And I prepared a speech about diversity and inclusion and why people with autism need to find more opportunities for work and permanent empl- permanent gainful employment at yeah. that. You can have a job, but are you saving money for a rainy day? Are you able to pay all your bills? Are you working enough hours to make ends meet? That's not happening in today's society. So I expressed, and I think the biggest uh, takeaway from the speech, I even got a little choked up when I said that we, people with autism, and per- all persons with disabilities, we have so much to offer, yeah. but it's not being tapped into. We look too much at the problems and the perils of this candidate or the person in front of you more so than the potential and the possibilities of what kind of value they can bring to the organization. How can they change the culture? How can they make a difference? Yeah. That's what needs to be looked at more. Absolutely. Well, what a wonderful message for you to take and do that. Uh, you also have a new designation that you have a new cert- certification. Mm-hmm. What is your certification? Now? The cert- certification I got to earlier this month or earlier this year. It's called the Certified Human Potential Coach. A Human Potential Coach. Okay, first of all, what is that and how do you get certified for that? Okay, so I found the Human Potential Institute on Facebook. They used to be called the Bulletproof Institute and it's led by a gentleman named Dr. Mark Atkinson mm-hmm. and he found that by embracing practices of embodiment, like whenever you get that 
kind of pretzel feeling in your stomach or like something is off or maybe you're in a, an environment or an experience where you feel like totally elated and physically lighter. Right. We focus more on feelings and sensations like that to go towards more of what enlightens us, what makes us feel really good and yeah. really get to the root of what's causing those feelings of tightness or in insecurity, for lack uh -huh. of a better word. So with human potential coaching, I would sit down as the coach with a client and ask them open-ended questions, like what would you like coaching on today, or that feeling you just described, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Or oh, tell me more about that. And so it helps the client see that they have the answers to what they're looking for in their mind, and in their heart, and they can do what's called mining, where they dig deeper into what's the meaning behind what they're yeah. experiencing, or and open a whole world of possibilities and what they could be after that experience. I love that way of looking at it because, you know, I I find that we assign value to how, how our body is handling whatever mm -hmm. is happening. And the example, I have a friend who's a brilliant stand-up comedian. Um, but, you know, in the week before she gets on stage to do something, she's pretty, like, upset and nervous and and just like miserable and like she's like why did I agree to do this stand-up date like literally goes through this process across a week and I've known her for mm -hmm. so many years that I know this about her right uh -huh. um, but and she knows herself but she doesn't pay attention to that right but she's like, oh, I'm like why did I agree to that I, I wish I did <laughs> like I gotta write something new and I don't have I'm not funny and then like this whole thing that she goes through but then she gets up on stage and she, like, when she's on stage, she knows that that's where she's supposed to be. And, and it's also funny to all of us because she's like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. It's like this, you know, bipolar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And one time, one of our friends, when she was like, I don't know why, in the beginning part of the week, she was like, I don't know why I do this. And I don't know. And the person was like, this is just your process. This is just uh, what you do. You just have decided it's negative. But this is just your process, woman. Right. And she was like... Oh, it kind of is, isn't it? Uh -huh. And once she had that self-knowledge, now when, the, when it comes on, she goes, oh, this is just the thing I do in the week before I do stand-up. But before, it would stop her from accepting gigs. Really? And stop her from getting that moment when she was up there and going, mm -hmm. wow, I was born to do this. So once she realized, oh, this is just part of the process. It's not hurting me. It's not necessarily even negative. I just go through this process before the good comedy comes out. Mm -hmm. um, and boy, that taught me a lot when I watched that. So I love the idea of being looking at how, like, what's going on and what value have you assigned to it? Because maybe feeling like, ooh, you know, I'm a little squishy prevents you from doing the thing you really want to do. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, Tom. Uh, so if somebody wants uh, a human potential coach, uh, you're available. How, mm -hmm. how would they contact you to do that? And, and is it something you just do face to face or is it something that you can do via Skype? Could they contact you from anywhere in the world to do this? Yes, it's something that can be done face to face or through Skype or Zoom, uh, like a video call where I'd ask them the questions and then we would arrange payment in terms of the coaching agreement. But right. really it's about seeing past your limitations and your limiting beliefs. There is a difference between limitations and limiting beliefs. Like for instance, a, a three foot tall person may not be able to reach something on a seven foot tall shelf. Right. But that's a limitation physically anyway. A limiting belief is I will never be able to get that item off the top shelf. Whereas if you see past limiting beliefs, you can ask someone to help get that item off. You could go yeah. grab a, a step stool or step ladder to get up there and get it yourself. S exploring those solutions of what you can do to see past what you feel is holding you back. Yeah. yeah. Now I I hear that this you know doing this and becoming certified in this and and becoming an expert in this has had a personal impact on you that you have seen some personal changes for yourself and what you're doing and what kinds of things that you're doing. So mm -hmm. tell uh, the folks
of running. You want to talk sensory overload right. in the world of autism. This is hardcore physical experiences. So when are you going to do this? I have plans to do it on Sunday, December 6th in La Quinta, outside okay. of Palm Springs. So you've got a little less than a year mm -hmm. to get yourself ready, but you've already started. I do. I have a, a bike that I borrowed from a friend. and I, I sold my old mountain bike so because that's not going to fly in right, an right. Ironman triathlon. So I have a bike that's set for this race. It's the swimming that I have to really practice on okay. because I have not So what is far. the training schedule like? Are you having to train every single day to get ready for this? I'll have some rest days. I do my best to have some time, like I'll plan some time to run and then another time I'll, there are paseos and trails up in Santa yeah. Clara where I live, so I'll grab the bike, go through those trails, seeing how long it's taking me to go a certain distance. I actually have a pool in my condo complex right uh -huh. outside my front door, so I think I'm gonna utilize that a little okay. bit more so I can Do you have a that. trainer that's gonna help you with this, or are you doing this on your own? I'm consulting with people that have run it, like my cousin in Illinois has okay. done several half Ironmans. I know someone in my hometown who's done, I think, maybe five or six in a single year, wow. at least. So Woo! bouncing some ideas or picking his brain a little bit. And physically already, this has been a change for you. Yeah, I mean, you're already noticing the benefits mm -hmm. of training in, you know, for this. And you feel good? I do feel really good. I feel like I can wake up and take on the day and I feel physically, mentally, and emotionally healthier for it because I'm, I've got this big trophy or this end game, end yeah. goal in mind and I'm yeah. working towards it. And I don't think any person with autism on the planet has accomplished a half Ironman, let alone a full Ironman. So I want to be out there and say, look what I'm doing. What are you doing or not doing that could be helping you lead a more full life? And physical limitations do not have to stop you from doing this. And people with cerebral palsy and missing limbs are running these Absolutely. Ironman triathlons. What so I heard you, you say full one too. Is that the ultimate goal, Tom? Uh, after I complete the half, I'm going to go for the full. Because that, that's what I've found in my nature. I always find a way to one-up myself. Okay, I ran a marathon, what's next? Half Ironman, okay, did that, what's next? Full Ironman, let's go for that. Okay. I'm always looking for ways to better my life personally, constant and never-ending improvement. That's what And you've I'm already done about. the marathon. I've done two marathons in the last year, year and a half. When I was younger, people were like, don't you want to do a marathon? And I was like, no, I have no desire. I have no <laughs> desire. It's funny, now at 57, in horrible shape, I'm like, oh, it may be that I never run a marathon. Uh, and I don't know that I, I don't, like I know people my age that have said I'm gonna change everything to do it. I don't know if I have that in me, but I gotta admit that now I wished I'd done it. Mm -hmm. I wish it was one of those things. Uh, and, and we've been, at my son's school, they have a program where they train them, get them ready, and then they run the marathon together. Uh -huh. And it, every year it's been like, do you want to do it this year? And he said no, but I think in his senior year that he's going to run the marathon. I don't know, but I think that, you know, it's a mm -hmm. consideration. Um, but that makes me want to be able to do it, right? I, but I don't know, 26 miles? 26.2 miles, and yeah. you know what? It, it's never too it's late. It's that point, too, that would probably kill me, put me over the <laughs> edge, right? No, there is a point when it's too late, Tom. Uh. There is a point when it's too late. This is the thing that you learn at 57, mm -hmm. is that there is a point when it's too late. I don't know that 57 is too late, and, and it certainly isn't too late for everyone. I just don't know if it's too late mm -hmm. for me, but there is a point when it's too late. So, and uh, so, you know, if you, I do think that if you want to do something, you got to do it while you can. Sure. So good on you for doing triathlons. Okay. So the last thing that we wanted to make sure that we discussed is about your diversity and inclusion consulting. Tell us what mm -hmm. that is. So I worked in accounting for a number of corporations and found that not to be the best life for me, but I'm now looking to revisit corporations in my new role as a speaker, a coach, and a consultant and similar to what I talked about with the United Nations, the importance of hiring and retaining yeah. people with autism. So my goal, I'm all about saying goals, yeah. uh, is to approach the big four accounting firms. These are Ernst & Young, Deloitte, KPMG, and PricewaterhouseCoopers. 
So they all. We know those names because they're always the people who hold the 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 voting for like the Oscar. <laughs> yes, they the usually Tony's have those briefcases. And, yes, from, <laughs> well, Price Waterhouse, uh, right? Uh, and Ernst and Young. We 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 know these are familiar only because they do the award shows. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think the, most of us would know them, right? But okay, so you're looking at them. So I'm looking at them, and and a lot of these firms have already embraced. Uh, diversity inclusion practices some even see the benefit of hiring people with autism like yeah. one, one of these firms that i've been in contact with i won't say who for privacy yes. purposes but but they uh embrace uh, data management uh, it consulting forensic accounting services these are trades work lines of work that people with autism can succeed in it's yeah. very detail oriented you yeah. look for patterns of differences and having procedures in place or maybe outside the box if there even is a box thinking that can yeah. be brought to the procedures at hand and they are really finding that people with autism succeed in these lines of work yeah i mean it's not everybody let's be not honest. everyone but, but there are there are folks on the spectrum who they are better at that than anyone mm -hmm. i don't think that that's a stretch to say and i'm glad that employers are starting to see that but often there are other considerations beside the skill level to be able to do it so are you helping them to figure those things out i'm looking to explore what uh, kind of leadership opportunities might be out there for people with autism okay so you've been working this line of work for x amount of years are, are you getting bored of it or do you think you want to move up in the ranks maybe make a little more money have a little more responsibility because yeah. as a toastmaster and toastmasters catchphrase is where leaders are made because wow. I think people with autism have the potential to be the leaders in their fields of work in their communities in their organizations but they have to believe that they have it in them by getting up in front of people by discovering that there are different types of personalities different views and ways of thinking so it's they're very abstract complex concepts but that doesn't mean that they can't be taught or learned amongst yeah. people with autism so that's what I'd really like to offer organizations with or without autism, that you you can tap into your leadership and find your voice and be that person that people look up to, go to. You've got the answers. You've got the ideas. That that's where people with autism can shine. So if there's somebody out there with a business and they go, all right, I'm not Ernst and Young, right. Uh, right? I'm not Price Waterhouse, but I this is intriguing to me and I want some help and support with this, so they can reach out to you and you'll consult. Yes, I would. Okay. And where do they reach you again? Again, my website, Thomas Island, I L A N D. No S. Dot com. No, no S, S in Island. Island. <laughs> uh, okay. And then you mentioned Toastmasters. The last time you were with us, you were sharing the big news. Uh, but if somebody didn't see it, you, tell them what you did. Yes, in case anybody <clears throat> didn't see the previous show. About five months ago, I became what's called a Toastmasters accredited speaker. This is a designation that only 87 people in the world have. And According to the organization's records, they're not showing or dictating that anybody has autism and, and this designation. So I could very well be the first mm -hmm. in the world to do this. It's a very complex process. I had to have uh, 25 speaking engagements. At least 15 of them had to be paid. I had to record myself speaking and submit that to a panel of judges and see if they would qualify it. And then once I was qualified, I went to the international convention that they hold every year and spoke in front of a thousand people yeah. giving a speech basically about my story growing up with autism yeah. and so all of that process helped me earn this designation and it's a designation reserved for the most powerful public speakers in the world and I'm all about breaking those barriers the way I see it and the why I did it yeah. if someone with autism a social communication disorder can master the art of public speaking, which is socializing and communicating. <laughs> exactly. In a nutshell, imagine what kind of barriers yeah. you can break. What's possible? Well, for these reasons and more, this is why we love having Tom on the show. This is, again, you, reasons why you again. should get his book, uh, book slash workbook, mm -hmm. co-authored with his mom, uh, who's an amazing lady all uh, on her own, uh, come to life, and I really recommend well, would you recommend that they get two copies, one for them and one for the person that they're doing it with, or can they work on one together? It, it can go either way. I think it's okay. good if you work on one together, you're both reading off the same page and have that conversation as you're 
seeing eye to eye, face to face. But there's really fun exercises in it, you guys, that you can do with the person in your life that, you know, is meaningful to you on or off the spectrum, which I th- I think, you know, when we talk about the term self-actualization, mm-hmm. which is when you are able to fully be who you are supposed to be, right? Isn't yes. that what we're all working towards? And it's funny you mentioned that because I do have a TEDx talk out there and the title of the TEDx talk is How to Come to Life. I gave it at a school in Virginia. It was intended for young students in high school and such. And I talk about the education system a little bit and in order to help us realize our potential, live our best lives and really make a difference in the world, I feel we need to focus less on academics in school and more on actualization. Less on academics, more on actualization tapping into what you are good at, thriving with that versus a fixed curriculum that might be based on some outdated data or standards. Yeah, I mean, look, we have we had a whole show for many years that uh, are you smarter than a, uh, a fifth grader, fifth grader yeah. where people would be on and try to answer questions. And, and the whole kicker of it was, was that there's a whole bunch of stuff you learn in fifth grade and, and, and younger that is not useful to you that you can't possibly retain. And then, right? li- and then life kicks and in. Then it's like, I, don't, I remember this right. stuff. You could be a brilliant person and they had all these people that were top of their field that would come in and they couldn't beat the fifth grader because the fifth graders are filled with all this information mm-hmm. which is great you know but it's not great for everyone not really um, and especially moving forward so if you you know if self actualization is something that you know you want cuz you should and if it's something that you want for the loved one in your life that's on the spectrum what a great thing these exercises are great in helping you become more aware mm-hmm. of the of who you are and who they are and the things that you want in life and the things that you can do to get them so that's available to you if you go to thomas island yep and you can see it spelled down here thomas island without the s Dot com. ThomasIsland.com. Uh, and then you can get the workbook too. And it makes a great gift too. So yep. uh, and and after hearing Tom speak, you can understand why uh, he's got something to say. So if you want him to be a speaker at your event and you should want that, then you should also go to Thomas Island without the S dot uh, <laughs> com and, and have him come and speak at your event. Tom, thank you so much for coming and being with us again. Thank you so You're much, always, I, I talk about you know providing information and inspiration, and you bring both. Look at thank you. you. <laughs> All right, you guys, we're going to take a break before we come back to close out the show, so stick with us. Welcome back. And he told me I had 40 seconds, and then, and then I was like, oh, I should have shuffled through my papers. Uh, thank you for being with us here today. We're going to be back tomorrow with a best of episode. On Wednesday, we think we have Dr. Doreen. I can't promise. On Thursday, we have autism expert Amy Sackwriter, who's going to be with us. She's awesome. You're going to love her. And then on Friday, we've got Eric Asher here for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We're going to talk about all the political candidates and where they are on their autism policy. You're not going to want to miss it thank you guys for being here with us back tomorrow until then give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too bye bye for now